Hello and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gavia and here's my co-host Morgan. Hello. So this week, thanks to our Patreon subscriber Jennifer, we are discussing the 2008 movie Twilight. Um, For anyone who inexplicably doesn't know what this is, here's the deal. Um, It's adapted from the best-selling novel by Stephanie Mayer, which is the first of four Twilight books. It's about a teen girl named Bella Swan who falls in love with a 100-year-old vampire, Edward Cullen, who is attending her school in the guise of a teenage boy. Um, The entire franchise is kind of generally considered to be very bad, which is why someone had to pay us $100 to watch this. Um, But it still kind of turned (laughs) Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson into international superstars and kickstarted their careers. And despite being teenagers uh, during kind of the height of Twilight Fever, neither Morgan nor I have seen this movie before now. So it was quite an experience for us creatively. (laughs) Yes. Uh, I guess, should we just start by giving a little bit of our histories with Twilight? Is that a good place to begin? Yeah, I think so. This podcast? Because... As teens of the 2000s. Yeah. I was so obnoxious about these books. And and films then. But obviously it began with the books. Because we were in high school when the books were like a big thing. Mm-hmm. And I never read them because I was just like, this is garbage. This Same. is absolute garbage. So I had never seen this movie, but I was very familiar with all the plots and everything about this. Um, Clea Linda wrote really good recaps of them that I remember reading that were very funny. And I was just like, what the fuck is this? Like, I was thought they were very offensive to my feminist sensibilities as like a 17 year old. Um, <laughs> I'm sure my friends were all like, you are so annoying. <laughs> like, I was just awful. And then the films came out and it was the same kind of thing over and over again. Yeah. And despite having never seen them, they were such a massive phenomenon that they did become this like large part of like my cultural life at yeah. that time. I mean, I couldn't have told you what the plot of the first movie was other than that they fall in love. But I mean, there's so many like wacky things that happen in the later installments that like it was impossible not to know stuff like, you know, when she gives birth, he tears the baby out of her womb with his teeth and then like a werewolf falls in love with the baby as soon as he meets it, that sort of thing, you know? <laughs> yes, that is the stuff that I remember more Yeah, now. like the really like, watching this stuff. Yeah, I didn't know what was going to happen specifically like plot wise mm. in this movie. But I felt very vindicated watching it because I was like, oh. This is terrible. It's real bad. (laughs) This is terrible in all the ways that I thought exactly, which doesn't mean that I was not a very obnoxious teenager, because I definitely I mean, it does have some very beautiful shots of forestry. There's some really nice forest (laughs) visuals, (laughs) which admittedly one can also find in like an SUV commercial. So, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Oh my God. But this is generally regarded to be, quality-wise, the best of the lot. Although the last ones are meant to be more entertaining because, as we said, they're completely bonkers. So it's sort of like there's a toss-up. It's like I, it's quite hard to imagine how the quality level goes down, but apparently it did. <laughs> I mean, I can't really fathom, except I recently watched, with a friend of ours, the movie The Snowman, starring Michael Fassbender, that came out a couple of years ago, which is why Which was just to be. stunningly incompetent. But they right, like literally like didn't finish the film. <laughs> right. So they didn't, they did not, clearly something happened on the set of this movie because like it was directed by the guy who did um, Ticker Taylor Soldier Spy and Let the Right One In. Who are I, a genius. Really, really, yeah. Yes. Great movies. The actors are all really great actors. The screenwriters are like, like the guy who 
wrote Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and like Wolf Hall, like, you know. Um, and this movie, like they didn't finish shooting it. You literally cannot follow what's going on watching it. I think it may be the worst movie I've ever seen. So that's a level of like genuine incompetence. That is in a different category. Mm. Whereas this, you watch it, like, you do know what's going on. But up beyond that, it, it is hard to imagine how it gets worse. Because it's really, really, really bad. I mean, it's like, kind of, it's an interesting situation, right? Because these these films are obviously phenomenally successful. And people who like Twilight like the films. Like, the films were extremely popular. Like, they broke box office records. And it's like, are there many examples of like because there's every every few years there will be like a massively popular bad book series you know like the da vinci code or twilight whatever which are phenomenally popular and then you'll get a movie adaptation there's not really like what what what, what's the creative decision you have to make here because it's like either you make a very accurate adaptation which is what they did and keep the fans happy and it's really bad because you can't make like a good accurate adaptation of a bad story or like can you think of any examples where it's like the bad book gets turned into like an actual masterpiece because they've hired a genius and it's like here's just something really great because I can't... Not off the top yeah, of my head. Yeah, like it's just no. kind of the way, it, the way it works. But with this, it's like the... I was kind of looking into kind of like the background of when they were making this. Like I read an interview from like 2008. This film was one of the many things that were sort of impacted by the writer's strike where like they, they had a script and then they scrapped the script and replaced it with a different one a couple of years later because of, you know, upsets. But like the original script that was adapted by someone else, you know, the, the author, Stephanie Mayer, was sort of saying it had borne no resemblance to the book. Like the original adaptation was going to have like a jet ski scene and it was going to be like action based and Bella was going to be like an athlete at the high school and stuff. And she was like, this is garbage. Whereas the woman who wrote all of the screenplays, Melissa Rosenberg, who is now known for being the showrunner of Jessica Jones, which is quite a turnaround, uh, but she clearly made a lot of money off these. And she just was like, I am doing the most accurate adaptation you can to like get the precise tone of the I mean obviously there's like they made changes that we don't really know about because we've not read the books but you know they amalgamated characters together or whatever but um they're very close and people were like yeah I love this story that's about a hundred year old man disguising himself as a high school student and falling in love with the most boring self-absorbed teenage girl in America <laughs> well this was the thing that kind of revealed itself to us as we watched this film yeah both is both that- characters are just both very stupid and self-absorbed and mean they're like unpleasant to be around <laughs> well right because like edward comes up and you know from the get-go if you know anything about this story which we do and like have any sense that like he's this creepy dude who's like stalking this mm. girl Right? And so you're like, okay, I don't like you. I mean, you're supposed to, but I I don't. Like, no, get out. But then the longer you watch the movie, the longer I felt like Bella actually was less appealing. Like, she's just not a very appealing person (laughs) in any way, which actually began to make the movie entertaining to me. Because everyone in the film, almost is like falling over themselves because they think she's so appealing in one way or another. And she has no attractive qualities. Because she's like, she's like the new girl in town and she arrives at the beginning of the movie and starts a new high school. And she's very sort of antisocial and awkward. Um, But then all the people at the school are really welcoming and she makes a bunch of friends. And then as the film progresses, you're like, it's not so much that she's sort of awkward in a relatable way it's more just that she's quite unpleasant and a bad friend because like there's a scene where they're all trying on dresses for prom and like she just like wanders out mid-conversation to go to like a bookstore and I'm like they're waiting for you to like tell you them whether you like the dresses or not like they've got out of their way to be very welcoming here 
And she's just, yeah, and like embroiled in this like terrible relationship with this dumb, crappy guy. It's it's, it's very, it's fascinating because like I completely understand the appeal of this kind of story, right? Because like there is a reason why these books like perennially come around, like not just vampire books, but this type of sort of trashy romance novel where it's about like a dangerous guy that the, the female lead sort of manages to attract not on purpose and then they get embroiled in like a conflicted love affair and it's all very sexy and he's dangerous and ominous and maybe not always nice but it's sort of hot anyway and it's like none of that was present here because he just (laughs) he's like not dangerous in a cool way like one of the things that I noticed really early on is this is the least gothic like vampire movie ever it's completely normcore he drives like this really uncool mom car like a Volvo or something everyone's wearing sort of (laughs) boring mid-2000s fashions and there's no sexy blood drinking stuff at all it's just so underwhelming in terms of the vampire action which I just find very entertaining because it's like they have found this you know there's always like an audience out there for sexy vampire romances and this one is like aimed at people who like kind of don't actually want to read a sexy vampire romance because it's in the fucking suburbs like (laughs) which is so funny because it set off the like crazy vampire YA trend for years. I mean, there was so much of that shit. But so many of the things that succeeded, because obviously there was like so many vampire books, which were more kind of traditionally vampire-y, but there were also a bunch of really successful novels that are specifically like Twilight in that it's just a relationship between two like unbelievably unpleasant people, usually with the man literally stalking the girl. And it's like, there was that one which is about angels where it's like the guy is a fault. Well, it's recently got option to be made into a movie and it's like, how the fuck are they going to do this after the Me Too era? Because like, he is literally the creep. He is so much creepier than Edward Cullen because he is literally like stalking her. He's like, oh, I'm going to murder you, all this stuff. (laughs) It's just like an abusive relationship. But I'm like, well, you've not positioned this in the way that makes it sort of Dracula-ish and appealing. It's just really toxic. (laughs) Well, that's the thing about... This is Edward is a huge creep, but he's also so pathetic. Yeah, that it well, is sort he's of going like, to a suburban high school, well, which is just so right. funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as you pointed out multiple times in our commentary track, which you can find on Patreon, the fact that all of these vampires are like however many hundreds of years old, depending on the individual case, and are spending their time in high school. And they don't need to, because obviously they've cast actors who are clearly about 22. Like, Kristen Stewart was an actual teenager, so she, you know, looks like a teenager, and so do some of the other teens. But the vampire teens all look about 22. And I think the concept is that this family of vampires, which is like a patriarch who works as a doctor and pretends to be the adoptive father of like five... 18 year olds (laughs) two of him are dating they all live in the same house it's very silly um but it's like oh well because we're vampires and we don't age we have to think of new identities every few years um so we establish ourselves and then we start attending high school and then we have like a little life for like five years and then leave but it's like you can't just say oh we're all homeschooled or start off at the age of 17 and not actually attend high school and just be there for like five years just change your hair a bit people are not gonna be like wow you've not aged like you can pretty much go for like 10 years without aging and no one's gonna be like that's weird right like people don't pay that much attention to other people especially if you just like you know you just comb your hair differently and stop dressing like a teen it's like wow you've aged yeah so the whole concept is already like creatively hilarious (laughs) yes 
And they never really make clear, maybe they do in the books, I don't know, whether they're, like, emotionally stunted at the age yeah. of v- vampire, you know, development. Which, like, in Interview with a Vampire, for instance, which we recently watched, that is definitely the case. So, like, the Kirsten Dunst character gets turned into a vampire when she's, like, 10 or something. And is a 10-year-old forever, which is obviously a horrible fate. And in this, it's not clear, like, is Edward 17 years old forever? Which would explain... Yeah, I mean, I would, I would actually appreciate it if, if any kind of, like, Twilight fans would like to clarify what the actual canon of this is. Because watching the movie, it definitely seems like he is immature. But also, yeah. kind of, the characterization and stuff is so messy that, you know, who the fuck knows? Like, they, they, like no, no one in the, in the movie makes sense from a normal person way. So, <laughs> it could go either way. But, like, that kind of raises some interesting questions. So it's like, okay, he has the arrested emotional maturity of a 17-year-old forever. So he's going to high school and, like, it is, I guess, nominally appropriate for him to date a 17-year-old. But obviously Bella, within the story, continues being a human for, like, a few more years and then eventually he bites her when she's in her early 20s. So she's just married as, like, an early 20-something mother because she has a baby at the end. Like, is married to, like, a 17-year-old forever. But also their whole relationship is just hilarious anyway. Because like when, when, when they first meet, it's like an amazing love at first sight moment. And I was like, actually, maybe I'm going to ship this. Like he's so into her. Like I love vampires. But he literally just does, you know, there's like this Andy Samberg sketch from the 2000s, like jizz in my pants sketch. And it's like he literally does the jizz in my pants face. And he just does that like multiple times and then stalks her. And it's very unclear why they like each other apart from that they're both boring and like to lie on the ground staring at the sky being like, I've got a feeling now. I've got an emotion. <laughs> It is okay. The scene you just described, where he first sees her and just like stares, is so funny. It's Perhaps hysterical. for me, the most funny movie, and funny moment in the film. Oh no! I think I the funniest just... moment is the baseball scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing about their whole relationship is that the fact that Stephanie Meyer is Mormon makes it so incomprehensible. That it becomes just hilarious and unfathomable. Well, the whole yeah, the whole love story is about sort of like erotic self denial, but it's really yes. poorly articulated. So you're like, I can totally get the whole thing where it's like, yes, we we are completely lusting after each other, but we must wait until marriage, which is essentially the premise of what happens in these books, from what I recall, um, of like my friends telling me t- when we were in high school. But like, it's not sort of explicit in the text of this story. So you have these two characters who meet and for most of their relationship Edward is like intentionally very unpleasant to Bella and is just like I don't like you and she's sort of enticed by this because you know she's an idiot teenager who's being very effectively negged and then she kind of pursues him and then he's stalking her and then they realize they're really attracted to each other which in his case is basically just like she smells nice so he she's it's a soulmate kind of thing like in fanfic and he can't read her mind. And he can't She's read her mind, which is very appealing. Is, yeah. Mm. But like that isn't really very explicitly covered in this movie either. Uh, <laughs> but then they just fall in love and then they are in love. So there's like, there's basically very little of the sort of relationship part in the middle where you see them actually falling in love. And then it's just like, well, we're in love now and I'm willing to die for you. And then there's a big fight at the end and that's the end of the film. <laughs> Well, and like the big scene in the middle where, which has famously the 
this is the skin of a killer line, which actually is the funniest moment in the film. Um, where he like rips off his shirt and his skin sparkles and he yells, this is the skin of a killer. And it's just, I love that that is of the vampire world building that has been created for this franchise by Stephanie. Like there is so much vampire lore that you can pick from. And she was like, well, they're going to drink blood and they're going to be immortal, but I don't want any of the gross or bad stuff. So instead of them like dissolving to ash in the sun, they're just going to sparkle a lot. And we are going to solve this problem by them all moving en masse to the most overcast place in America, which is Forks, the town of Forks. So they're just living in this like little bland tourist town. So it's like the blandest possible setting. It's very funny. (laughs) Yeah. But that's the scene where they, you know, accept that they have feelings for each other. He's he's very unpleasant in that scene. He's just basically being threatening to her on purpose to get her to leave. And she's like, no, I know you like me. It's like, how though? Like, you should just leave. But they do eventually, you know, acknowledge that they like each other. And then they lie out in the grass and just stare at each other. And I was like, you are horny teenagers. And this is unrealistic. Like, that is not, excuse me? And then there's, like, one other scene where he's, like, creepily in her bedroom because that's what he does, I guess. And they kind of make out for, like, five seconds. And then he's like, no, I can't do it or whatever. But, like, I think she wears long sleeves the entire film also, which is humorous. I mean, like, that's fine. But I was just amused because it's clearly there's a reason that that's happening. But, like, it's all just so kind of incoherent because it's not like they need to be like making out all over the place like it's fine but clearly they haven't really worked out what the deal is yeah it's very it's very like Like, it's simultaneously like they've got this whole thing where he is overcome with unspecified lust when he ever he sets eyes on her but it's also a really like chaste movie so the fact that they've not like really been able to illustrate the fact that they're really sexually like attracted to each other just means that it makes even less sense because you've just got two characters who are just really unpleasant to each other all the time. And like if you had like the lust stuff make sense more, you'd be like, oh, okay, I've got it. But like they didn't, so it doesn't. <laughs> well, this is the thing, right? Is that like most teenagers are horny all the time. And if you have teenagers who have found a person specifically to whom they are very attracted they behave in a certain way. And in this movie, they're not allowed to because... And also, literally the, the two actors you know. were a couple. And there's this interview right. with the director, Catherine Hardwick, like after she cast them, where she was basically like, they cast Kristen Stewart first and then they were kind of finding Edward Cullen, which was also very hard because Stephanie Meyer had very specific ideas of what he should look like. And also every Twilight fan in the world had a really specific sexual fantasy of what the ideal Edward Cullen looked right. like. But um, <laughs> basically, like they had their screen test together and Kristen Stewart just was just instantly like smitten essentially yeah and like they were just very into each other from quite early on so like they in real life clearly had chemistry because they stayed together for years yeah and then in the film it's like you don't have chemistry at all in fact to the extent where like i was kind of like joking during the the commentary i was like this has quite a powerful gay energy around kristen stewart for several points in this movie Kind of her voice and like all the scenes where she just talks about these conversations with her dad. I don't want to talk about boys. Like I'm not interested in this. And I'm like, interesting. Okay. <laughs> There's like a whole scene where she's just wearing like a plain flannel shirt and talking about how much she loves her pickup truck. And I'm like, I know yep, all of this. It's yep. just like, you know, jokes and stereotypes, but also it's more compelling to me than the, the, the central romance. <laughs> it's true. It's really true. There's just so many things that kind of combine to make the film uncompelling. Like, it, as you said, it's a vampire movie. It's 
just not sexy in any way. Why? What's the point of this? Like, they're... I just it's, it's the opposite of interview with the it's vampire impressive. because they're both yes. very corny I mean interview with the vampire is just better like it's aesthetically better and it kind of I feel like it leans into its own silliness um yes, even though it's sure. like not you know it's not like a masterpiece but it leans into it whereas like this is just it just doesn't it's kind of weirdly soulless but I think the way it works is the same way that the books work which is that it's fully reliant on the imagination of the audience because, you know, the reason why the protagonists of all of these books are so sort of thin and passive is because they're designed so that you can sort of insert yourself into that position and then have, like, Edward as your fantasy, which is completely legit, and I understand. But <laughs> but as a film, not great to watch unless you're already heavily invested in the idea of being like, wow, he's, like, such a sex bomb. It's like, he's not, though, is he? <laughs> well, this, this is the thing, right? It's like the acting in this film this is just so, so bad. Yeah. I mean, if you, if, you, <laughs> like, if you listen to like our commentary track, you could hear me in real time going through like the stages. Because I went into this film being like, <laughs> I'm so defensive of Kristen Stewart. Because like, obviously she, she did genuinely get like a lot of misogynist backlash for these movies, both from people who don't respect the Twilight movies and from the fans themselves. Because obviously people tend to hate on the female lead while being really obsessed with the male lead. Um, and like people were like, yeah, she's also, she's like a shitty actor. And I was like, well, it's actually a really hard job to be the lead in this kind of film because you just have to like emote at nothing for like 45 minutes of an hour and a half movie or two fucking, two fucking hour movie. Just like stare at stuff and like look awkward. And I was like, this is just so unfair. And then I watched it. I was like, uh, actually she is bad. But Robert Pattinson is also, they are both bad, but they both no. have almost impossible jobs to do. <laughs> well, this is the thing, right? Is like, they... What, they're, the material is impossible and they were very young and hadn't had a ton of experience mm -hmm. so it's just a perfect storm of like there, there was nothing yeah. I mean do. Kristen Stewart had done more because she was a child star but I mean yes. <laughs> the role that she's given is like she just has to be really nervous all the time and seem like she's falling in love with someone whose motive like the motives just don't make sense and like Robert Pattinson, who had kind of more freedom to be mean about it because, you know, the whole being a man thing. But it's like he's done so many hilarious interviews. Like my primary memory of these films is just after they were coming out, like he just did so many interviews where his just open derision for the franchise was just so funny because <laughs> he would just like talk about how he didn't understand his character, like the kind of weird sort of vanity towards his appearance. He was just like, yeah, they like drew on my abs because he didn't have abs. <laughs> And this this kind of stuff, like they put wire in his shirts to make sure they were like disheveled in the right way. <laughs> I mean, that whole press tour, series of press tours were really remarkable because you are absolutely correct that if Kristen Stewart had done that, it would have been the end of her career. But even for a man, yeah, that it's was very unusual. pretty unusual. It's like a weird <laughs> position where like he didn't, yeah, like, I mean, if he was wanting to go and be in an Avengers movie, then he wouldn't be able to. But, like, because both of the actors immediately just went into indie dramas and started making very acclaimed films almost immediately, they've, like, ended up with the perfect situation compared to other people who have been in this type of film, I guess. Basically had a better time of it than anyone else, but that's because they had really specific career goals afterwards. Well, looking at their careers is really pretty fascinating because they made surely just gazillions of dollars off of these films like there were four of them there were four five movies. there were four books five movies oh my god yeah. five that's so horrifying yeah. and they started when they were very young so they were finished pretty early and then could do whatever the fuck they wanted and both have very very specific 
very indie taste. Um, Robert Pattinson in particular has given interviews where he talks about like the directors he likes, like growing up watch obsessively watching like VHSs of like, I mean, it's like, it's like serious, serious art house people. Mm -hmm. Like he's obsessed with Claire Denis. He just made a film with her um, high life, which I mentioned in our um, film festival episode. We'll talk about next year, who is considered like one of the best directors alive by cinephiles. And she's like a French director. And somehow he managed to make like an English language film with her. (laughs) How did you do this? I don't understand. And I think has sort of alluded to the fact that he like secretly reads film Twitter, which is very funny to me. (laughs) Like, (laughs) um, and it seems in character as well because it's like he's oh yeah he's very sort of um funny and gloomy and sort of cynical yes he's very very entertaining as an interview like it's it's pretty good and then Kristen Stewart has made movies with like very impressive directors as well and they obviously just were like fuck this I do not care. Well, sort of, I, I remember, like, I'm right done. when the franchise was ending, I mean, Kristen Stewart, she did, like, one blockbuster. She did Snow White and the Huntsman. And that was kind of the point where she had, like, a brief affair with the director who was, like, in his 40s and married. And it was just, like, this is disgrace. Like, she's terrible. And it's like, well, he was their fucking boss, so it's gross. And then she and Robert Pattinson broke up and, you know, she came out and all this stuff and now seems fine. But, like, with Robert Pattinson, he just had this, like, really bizarre experience, which is virtually unique like it's very rare to see with like a male star because usually this like kind of weird creepy stuff is aimed at teenage girls but he was like such a heartthrob you know people would find out where his hotel was and he would just have like beatomania situations like he couldn't go anywhere for like two or three years he stopped washing because i remember there was a period when these films were really famous where like there was just all these kind of gossip stories but he just smelled really bad because he was clearly like trying to make himself unattractive like he had this really awful haircut that looked someone like like gone to his head with shears or something and I just remember being like well even though I'm like 20 I can already see the psychology behind this and you're just trying to make yourself as ugly as possible and it's never going to happen (laughs) like it's not working um but they escaped eventually so yeah I mean I would be really curious to know how often he gets stopped on the street now Mm. I I just have no Obviously, I don't know. Like he hasn't told me, but it's been so long since these films. Yeah, and the audience I mean, surely grew he gets up. stopped on the street, but it just seems like it's of such a different time, you know. Mm-hmm. That obviously he looks the same, but it just seems like he has escaped. <laughs> I hope. I hope he's escaped. <laughs> he still, you know, seems very anxious, but not like he's losing his mind. Yeah. So that's good. <laughs> Um, he did say recently, which was very funny, he was like, yeah, I'd be going to do a Twilight sequel, like, let's bring it on. I don't think he was totally joking, which I think would be extremely funny. Like, do it in, like, ten years. I would, yeah, I mean, I would absolutely, because, like, the only, like, Morgan was kind of saying this to me the other day, she was like, the only way that both of those actors would sign up for this is that if it was, like, a really interesting kind of artistic (laughs) kind of Twilight sequel, so if they had, like, if they got to pick, like, a really fun director... Or even just, like, fucking bring back Catherine Hardwick but let her do something interesting because while this film is bad, Catherine Hardwick, her other films, like, she made 13, which is this movie, like, about 13-year-old girls that was, like, co-written by a teenage girl and it's very hardcore. And, like, her other work is kind of really interesting and generally quite positively reviewed. And with this movie, it was the kind of the classic thing where they have, like, a woman who does all the setup and then they replace her with a man for the rest of the franchise. There was all these people like Bill Condon did the later films. But um, they brought back Catherine Hardwick, gave her more kind of creative free reign. 
<laughs> See what Melissa Rosenberg has now that she's done uh, Jessica Jones, which is just diametrically opposed to everything you see in this film. Yeah, that would be interesting. I think doing like a complete meta, meta Twilight yeah. would, would be entertaining. I mean, we have both long said that we just really want them to do like a, a serious indie film when they're yeah a film where they're like dysfunctional siblings or something would just be (laughs) (laughs) oh my god yeah they seem like they'd be well up for it in like you know 10 years when it's everything's calmed down a little bit um but truly watching this you could never have anticipated that these two actors would go on to be two of the like indie darlings of the world cinema (laughs) you never can tell that's for sure wow i mean the best performance in this film by far is anna kendrick who i oh, yeah. not recalled was in this I, I and didn't, apparently I didn't she didn't either yeah but like this this like someone messaged us after we posted our like our commentary track on patreon and they were like she said in interviews that twilight literally just paid for her entire career because she wouldn't have been able to keep acting if she wasn't in the twilight films and yeah. she's just like, this is great. But um, she is really funny as well. Because like, I was watching this and I was like, holy shit, this is like such a pre-fame look. It's like when you watch the first Fast and Furious movie, which I realize is, you've not done. Everyone in that is people like Vin Diesel and Paul Watts' his name. And it's like, they literally just look, I mean, they look poor, basically. They don't look like rich movie stars because like they've not, you know, they've not paid to have like their teeth redone and stuff like that. And that's kind of like what Anna Kendrick looks like in this. You're like, she looks like a real teen. And her performance is so funny and naturalistic and silly. And everyone else in the movie is either straight up doing bad acting or is, you know, just fine. They're fine. Like a Bella's dad, you know, is just like, I'm dad. He's just like an alcoholic yes. dad who's constantly drinking beer, but like they don't delve into that at all it's just like here's a normal dad activity which is drinking three beers while cleaning a gun because of masculinity oh my god all the stuff with her parents is just like i i kept saying in the jacob, oh my god i just remembered the scene at the end with jacob her her love rival oh who will god. come in later more in the later films but it's like this scene at the end where jacob just comes up to her at prom and it's like my dad paid me 20 dollars to ask you to break up with edward i'm like what the fuck is this dialogue like what is this conversation you're having right now <laughs> Well, that's, I mean, that's like the thing about this movie, right? Is that there are all of these moments that are just completely inexplicable by the laws of like normal. They like drive human halfway behavior. across the country for really unexplained reasons because they've suddenly begun a vampire feud because these rival vampires show up and they're like, well, you've got a human pet. We're going to kill her. And that's just like the final third of the film. And I'm like, I feel like maybe you should have just spent more time on the relationship. But okay, I guess we're driving to like Arizona or wherever it was. <laughs> Because she has to protect her mother, who has basically sent her off to live with her father for a while because she has gone off to live with her minor league baseball player boyfriend. I spent much of the commentary track being like, how old is he? How old is he? Because He is canonically much younger, apparently. Yes. Minor league baseball players are very young and her mother is not, I mean, she's not like an old lady. Yeah, she's presumably at least 40. Right, and they never really go into this. And th- there's just so much stuff. It's like, what is happening? <laughs> but I mean, this was, as you say, massively successful to the point where they extended the last film mm. into two movies, which really was a a scourge because then that's what they did with 
the last Harry Potter film. I mean, there was enough material because I watched the, all of the Harry Potter and Hunger Games movies, and there's enough material in Harry Potter and the Hunger Games that you can do that. But they did it because yeah, of but they this. did it because obviously you can get money. But like with this, it's just yeah. like I just remember when the final two came out, like just hearing people being like please make this end because like even though they were like people who wanted to watch it were just like no this is too long there's not enough material to expand like fucking two hours of people sort of like looking at each other and redecorating their suburban house or whatever yeah i mean this was so clearly not for us yeah that it's all it's, kind it's of anti-goth it's gothphobic <laughs> it's oppressing me with, by making a popular vampire franchise that I cannot, I cannot enjoy. <laughs> Exclusionary. <laughs> yeah. And it, I mean, it's the most significant legacy is obviously Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. And not any vampire material. Yeah. Which is like so... the same. It's just like this very <laughs> specific type of writing where it's, not very appealing or interesting lead characters having a very intense romance in a really banal location that doesn't require very much sort of imagination or research. So it's just like a suburban town or like a small business or a school or something. And then they're just like colossally popular, which kind of reminds me a lot of like the the popularity of like Teen Wolf fanfic, where it's all extremely suburban and it's just like people who fall in love and one of them happens to be a werewolf and you're all just going to like a very normal high school and it has like less complex fantasy world building than the actual show itself because people mostly just want to see like a suburban romance and it's like I get that it's popular but it's just not for me although I will say the quality of the writing in Teen Wolf fanfic is definitely better than Twilight because Twilight is one of these stream of consciousness things where it's like 500 pages of describing my my khaki dress (laughs) or (laughs) how many steps to go up to my house to reach the word count (laughs) Well, what's so funny is that it's not actually, it doesn't actually bear any resemblance to a real high school. No. Right? And well, so. Because, like, observationally, like, Stephanie Mayer just isn't very good at replicating the way that humans, like, have emotional reactions to each other, which is the whole problem with this entire thing. Yes. But, like, the, the Teen Wolf thing also, for the most part. And, like, were you just using that as an example? Like, oh, I, yeah. I read a great deal of Teen Wolf fan fiction in my day to my horror um but that general genre of thing like obviously the high schools and these media products bear no resemblance the difference being that teen wolf is like fun because like when we were watching the baseball scene in this where the vampires play baseball i was like this is this one fun scene is just what like teen wolf was it's what teen wolf became (laughs) yeah except with lacrosse correct i mean yeah the the baseball thing actually is pretty funny because they're wearing all these like old timey baseball uniforms and it is the only thing that makes sense in the context of them being like hundreds of years old because back in the day baseball was by far the most popular sport in America and in fact the only sport kind of in America that everyone was paying attention to so like of course that's the thing that they like to do and uh, they have special rules and they're very campy. It's the only campy thing in this movie. But like the desire to have this sort of like generic banal setting that everyone is like nominally kind of familiar with even And you just in fill America, in the gaps right? in your imagination just like yeah. the way everyone imagines their best to Edward Cullen. Yes. 
and then you can sort of fit yourself in there. It all becomes very idealized, which like I I do get the appeal. It's just I find it so boring. <laughs> like, and for me, as someone who like went to one of those high schools, reading the generic generic versions is not interesting because I know what it was actually like. And so it's like, well, this is not like, no, (laughs) the thing I kept talking about in the commentary track that was like a ridiculous level of like fixation was that when Bella arrives at the school, she immediately starts getting like photographed by the people on the high school paper. And then they're all like reporting on her arrival and she's friends, then becomes friends with like the paper people. Like, fellas, I was on my high school paper. That's not how it works. <laughs> Nobody's like, let's report on the new girl. I mean, maybe somewhere in America, that's how it's working. Yeah, but it's like but a I, small town I where like no one that. has ever moved there ever before. <laughs> but it didn't, no. not in this case. In the, like, it just, yeah. People behaved in ways that didn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, that's generally our, our headline for Twilight. People behaved in ways that didn't make sense. Would you say the love story in this film is better or worse than the Anakin Padme love story in the prequels? That is such a, that's such a tough question. I mean, admittedly, we've only seen one of the Twilight films. And FYI, we're not doing any more. Yeah, no, this is the (laughs) end of the road for us in Twilight. Um, I think this is less offensive. Yes. But also less entertaining. Yeah, because I think if you really think hard about it, there's enough material in the Star Wars prequels that you can imagine an interesting background for that romance. And also it's much funnier, but it is more sexist. Whereas this is just like, the stuff that we are given by the film itself is so thin that you are watching a story where it's essentially someone is like really into Kristen Stewart because she's irresistible. And then he's just really mean to her for like half the film and then suddenly they're in love and it's like, well, how? (laughs) And as soon as, I mean, he's doing the like, well, actually, I mean, he's doing like stay away from me. Oh no, of course. (laughs) Because like, I mean, obviously yes, like Twilight is offensive. We, we have established that, but I was, I'm thinking back to it now. And like, basically the only way he expresses his attraction to her is through stalking her I mean, when she does the sort of, like, walking out from the prom dress thing to the, randomly to the bookstore where she, like, buys an occult book on vampires, um, he literally is, like, following her around, which she does not. And he protects her from sexual harassment. Yes. Expressing his dominance and power. Right. But he does various things throughout the movie, up to and after that point, where he's, like, protecting her from harm. Mm -hmm. So the way he expresses his attraction is protecting her from harm and following her around. Great. (laughs) And then also, like, threatening her when she says she likes him. Also great. Yeah. And then they make out, like, one time, and then he's like, it's too much! Cool. (laughs) Although I will say, like, obviously, kind of... This was all very much covered during the sort of the response to Twilight Fever back in the day. And there was a lot of sort of hand wringing over that. It was like, oh, my God, is this like really ruining the young minds of young women? And it's like, well, yeah, it's a bad message. But I feel like quite a lot of people who read Twilight were like, we know this is bad, but I'm still enjoying it kind of thing. And also people can tell the difference. So it's like, well, first of all, (laughs) a lot of people can like separate fantasy from reality, but also... 
if this is the story that immediately resonates with the entire generation of teenagers, probably the problem is already underlying. Like, it's not Twilight has suddenly made it so that girls are fantasizing about being stalked by, like, a hot, weird old man. It's like, that's just what society has told us. Because if this story was, like, good, I'd probably be on board. Because, you know, I like Dracula and I like Hannibal. And it's effectively the same thing as that, but, like, bad. (laughs) I mean, I don't think it's, like, Twilight's fault that this dynamic exists, yeah. right? Like, of course, of course. this is, a, is an existing problem. <laughs> but it is just but the ultimate. It's just the ultimate and it's very bad. Like, I also don't think that most of the teenage girls who were reading this book were like, I know this dynamic is bad because I knew all the teenage girls in my friend group who were reading this Yeah, book. but people were like, I'm aware this is trash. Like, but people, people, <laughs> I think, but also like, I mean, obviously there were people who were like fiendishly obsessed because it was Twilight Fever and everyone was just like, I want to murder you to get our paths for myself. But like, I think also there's always a pretty big audience of people who are like, I'm aware this is kind of trashy and I'm not taking it seriously, but I really enjoy it. Oh, sure. But like, I think that there's somewhere in the middle, which is like not people who literally were like stalking Robert Pattinson's hotel or who were like, yeah, this is really bad, but I like it. But who were like not insane. Yeah. But also and if someone like, points out to them, hey, really, this is really sexist. Really they're like, stop right. ruining my book. Of course it's not sexist. And it's like, yes, exactly. <laughs> right. And I think there can be a also a middle ground with like, obviously this is not creating sexism. Like, of course, all this stuff exists already. And like, our minds have been poisoned before the age of 17 or whatever, but also is not helping. So did it ruin all the teenage girls forever? No. Was it like a great thing for everyone to have been reading? Probably not. I mean, when you look at this and the Hunger Games, which are frequently lumped together because they are the same loose subgenre, like the Hunger Games are incredible and have like a really positive message. And admittedly, like the films aren't quite as radical as the books are but like the, the difference is tremendous and they like the, also the hunger games invite scrutiny because they are literally asking you to kind of think about political ideas whereas yes. these films are like please don't try to examine anything that happens in this story because it doesn't make sense just succumb <laughs> to the fantasy of robert pattinson <laughs> like the, but what's so amazing about this film is that like obviously the they're much younger than we are now. But not like, I mean, he in particular, not like wildly so. He was like 22, 23, and and she was 17, 18. Right. So he's, what, like five-ish years younger than us now. And I find him very attractive now as like an adult. But he's so, like, there's just nothing about him in this film that's like appealing. Like, yes, he's, like, his face is attractive. I mean, he just objectively, he's an attractive person. But nothing, there was just nothing. I was. Well, I think nothing. that when you're watching this movie, you can kind of tell that he is distracted, you know? Because, like, Kristen Stewart, who yeah. at this point was, like, more of a pro, is, like, focusing on her performance and is just giving the best performance she can for this role, which is not very good. But with yeah. him, I feel like you can almost tell that he's trying to think of about four different things at once because he's got to maintain an American accent, which I think he did pretty well. Um, yeah. He has to perform this role whose motives are like inexplicable to him. So he like can't do it. And he's also wearing a lot of makeup and he's got his hair done and he's got like wires inside his shirt. And he's also completely aware that like, you know, Stephanie Mayer was on set a lot. So he, he's aware that he's like enacting Stephanie Mayer's Mormon sex fantasies. 
And it's just like, it's a lot of like pressure. And he's also aware that he's going to have to do four more. And he's falling in love with Kristen Stewart at the same time. So it's like, there's a lot of material to work with here. And you can tell (laughs) that he's just a bit distracted. (laughs) Yes, I think that that is a fair assessment. And he's just being told, it's like, you know, the director's having to tell, okay, right, smolder. And it's like, how do I do that? Like, because some people intrinsically have an understanding of their own sex appeal and how to use it in different ways. And he does not and still doesn't. (laughs) <laughs> well this is the thing too right he's not because it's, like, it's like an interview with a vampire the two leads of that are both like we've talked about this before in other podcasts like our mission impossible podcast in that tom cruise is not like an inherently sexual figure but he is an interview with a vampire and like he and brad pitt both have an understanding of their like appearance and their stage presence and that sort of thing you know well tom cruise used to be yeah and yeah something 20 years ago <laughs> a different story but yeah, Robert Pattinson, like as a person, is attractive. Yeah, but, but he doesn't actor, have like a sexy energy. No, which is and funny. The stuff, <laughs> yeah, the stuff he's done since, right? So like his the three big roles he's had recently were this movie Good Time, which came out last year, which was one of my favorite movies of last year. I cannot recommend it highly enough. It is so 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 good. And he plays this like petty criminal from Queens doing this accent that is perfect i cannot describe yeah i I definitely want to see that movie i heard it's great and he is gross in it he's gross like there's nothing about that performance that's like oh how sexy like zero zero percent um and then he had this movie damsel this year with nia vachikovska that i didn't like very much but he was really really good in it playing like a man who is like obsessed with this woman in a way that is not great and it's quite interesting. Like, he's, it's a very, um, obviously it's not like a Me Too film because that's not a thing. And it was made before all this anyway, yeah. but it's interesting in that context. I mean, I just saw him in The Lost Temple of Zed, um, The Lost City of Zed. Yeah. Which was like really interesting to watch just a few days after Twilight because he's not the protagonist of that. He's like tertiary role, you know, it's, it's a historical exploration movie and he plays like the assistant, the main explorer, but he is unrecognizable. He's got like a really interesting accent his body language and his face are so interestingly utilized like he has this sort of um his bone structure because like obviously he is like hot but like his bone structure is also quite gaunt so it allows him to play much older than he actually is so you're watching this movie and you're like oh this guy's like you know 35 and like is someone who hasn't had great nutrition in like the year 1910 completely plausibly and i was just really really great like really great performance yeah Yeah. and then like the other the third big thing he's done um recently is this movie highlight for Claire Denis, and I don't want to really say much about it, but let me tell you. <laughs> There's weird sex stuff in that movie, but uh, not sexy. And so clearly this is just not his wheelhouse. Yeah. And yet he got started playing what's supposed to be like the sexiest character in young adult fiction and whatever this you know period was. And it's just so funny. Like, they clearly cast him, obviously, as you said, because he and Kristen Stewart had this chemistry, but also just because aesthetically he matched the description that, like, Stephanie Meyer had in her head. But that's not everything. (laughs) Many people who are not as physically beautiful as him have more sexual energy. Well, it's like how, like, it's like how, if if you're, like, a really, like, a really straight man, 
just like hate Channing Tatum so much because like they're just burning up with frustration that they can't understand why people like Channing Tatum. Right. And it's like, yes, yes, he's a large muscular man, but that doesn't mean that women are like, oh, I love large muscular men because I like, it's not like people aren't like, oh, I love footballers, like football players. Yes. They're like, I love Channing Tatum specifically because he's got the energy. Right. I mean, his face is like fine. His face is like a regular man face. Like it's just a... Right. And like, yeah, big muscle guys are like not my thing. But Channing Tatum just is so... He has the vibe. Yes. (laughs) Good example. And yeah, Robert Pattinson... Doesn't. At least on screen, like it's not... And it's fine. Like he's very good. And it's also almost um, like intentional because it's like he has had a formative experience where people were fucking lusting after him and he didn't want anything to do with it. So I'm not surprised. Like even if he maybe... Maybe he does have the ability to like turn on like sexual energy and he's just been like, I definitely don't want to do this because it's a can of worms, which I definitely understand. (laughs) Yes. Maybe in like 10 years, he'll be like, maybe I'll do a romance now. Yeah. But... Not for a long time. Yeah, Kristen Stewart's done a few, but they're all quite um, sort of dark and psychologically complex. Like the film this year um, on our film festival podcasts, I saw um, she did the Lizzie Borden movie, uh, which is great. She doesn't play Lizzie. She plays uh, Lizzie's love interest, who's like the maid. And I was just like, so I mean, I wasn't pleasantly surprised as in I was surprised it was good because obviously it's good. Um, But she's playing this sort of very meek, passive character which is kind of what at Bella Swan's meant to be like in this, but like in a good way. And she's so great. And she's got like a really good Irish accent. And I was just like, I'm loving it. Well done. <laughs> I mean, did you see certain women? Yeah. Didn't we watch yeah, that together? Like she... Yeah. Yes, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, she's playing a, not like, certainly not weak, mm. but not fragile. Sort she of... plays quite fragile characters, but in a different way to Natalie Portman. Cause Natalie Portman plays very high strung, fragile characters. And Kristen Stewart plays sort of nervous, fragile characters. Yeah. But in Certain Women, which is a film by Kelly Reichardt, that's it's like three different sort of short stories, adapted from three different short stories, um, so sort of vignettes that take place in, I want to say, Wyoming. And she plays like a teacher at a community college, mm-hmm. basically. And she just wears like... Sweaters. Like Wyoming teacher clothes. Yeah. And it's just like a very normal person. And... uh yeah, it's and she, and it's playing the straight one in the story, which is also funny. Um, but she's just very good in this sort of like very very normal person role. Yeah, which I it was really. I mean, basically, they they both turned into into actors who are both really good at their jobs, but also they choose the kind of roles that I trust. It's sort of like Nicole Kidman. It's like anything she does, yes. I'm like I'm on board, you know. And yeah, there's a pretty exactly. short list of actors where I'm like that, where I'm just like I know this is going to be good. Ethan yeah. Hawke is another one, even though I've not seen most Ethan Hawke movies, because he simultaneously does really good, like, acclaimed serious movies and also, like, trashy vampire sci-fi movies. And I'm like, I love both of these. <laughs> yes. That is a good little set of actors that you've picked out. I agree with all of them. Do we have any last thoughts on Twilight? The only thing we're missing out in the sequels is that we didn't get to see the famously bad wigs, because this franchise is known for having some of the worst wigs in Hollywood. Um, so we've missed out there. But I didn't yeah. really notice any really obviously bad wigs this time around. Uh, there's a, there was a blonde one. I remember noticing a bad blonde wig, but I don't even remember what character it no. was. We we watched this movie a couple weeks ago um, to record the commentary track. And then for whatever reason on that day, we both had to head out and couldn't do the podcast on the same day. And then this is a couple weeks later that we're recording this episode. And 
so much of it has just fallen out of my brain. Like it is this, like a puff of smoke just gone, which I really think speaks to. Um, it's impressibly quality. unmemorable. Yeah, I wish it had been more funny. Bad. Like yeah. there were definitely a few moments that were quite entertaining. This kind of a killer line being my high point, humor wise. I think you were also very entertained by the car choices. I was very entertained by that because I don't. Yeah. I mean, one doesn't usually notice cars. And um, but it's just so funny to see him just like just driving like the least cool car in the world, and like for like a sexy rescue where he like skids to a halt and like beats up a bunch of toughs who are sexually harassing her in the street. And it's just like this car is very distracting. <laughs> yeah, he's got a Volvo. Yeah, my grandmother had a Volvo it back is, in the day. That's kind of the the vibe. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, it's just dull. It's just a very dull film. Hmm. Which is unfor- like I feel like they should have just somehow made it campy. Yeah. Well, I mean, but the later I, ones definitely are. There's the stuff where, like, when she has the baby, and it's like for some inexplicable reason, they were like, "We're gonna combine like a doll baby with like a CGI'd on face of a four year old because like she's meant to age faster and stuff." And it's like there's this weird like uncanny valley monstrosity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that sounds. Yeah. But I'm I'm excited to see what the next vampire franchise is because like. As we have discussed a couple of times before, there is one for every generation. And, you know, true. There, was the, 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 there was like Interview with a Vampire, which was fantastic. And, you know, there's a Buffy, but I wouldn't really count that as much because it's like Angel and Buffy is the main vampire romance and that's ages ago. And there's this. Um, there is a new Interview with a Vampire TV show happening, though, so maybe we'll luck out there. Well, you know what's coming on the BBC. <gasps> Fucking we Dracula! Oh, yeah, just got yeah, of course. Yeah, with... My man, Clace Bang, yeah. who is very I'm sexy. I'm going to have to watch The Square because I'm, I'm very, I'm, it looks great and I want to see what Dracula is like before I see him in, in Stephen Moffat's Dracula, which will be bad and offensive. Yeah, it's re- I really resent that I'm going to have to watch this because uh, I love The Square so much and Clace Bang. And I love Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, didn't you say that, like, in the press release, they just kept talking about her sex? Yeah, because, like, this is, yeah, so basically, what the BBC, they're doing, in the same format as Sherlock, they're doing three 90-minute long TV movie episodes um, of an adaptation of Dracula by Stephen Moffat and his writing partner, Mark Gatiss. And it is a historical period, but it seems like they're framing Dracula as the protagonist, so it starts off in Transylvania, so it's sort of not a direct adaptation. And they cast Clay's Bang, who is this Danish actor who is, as Morgan said, very sexy. He's 50, he's very kind of looming, but like the press release, you know, when you have like a you have like a quote from Clay's Bang, which made him sound like an idiot. He was like, I'm so excited, it's fucking a stupid quote. Um, and then there's like quotes from the producers and the BBC. And every quote from the producers and Stephen Moffat was just a different way to phrase how attracted they were to Clay's Bang. <laughs> they were just like, yes, he's got this amazing charisma, he's just so tall and dark, he's really got this presence, he's this very charming figure. And I'm like, you all just think he's hot <laughs> so it really gives it's you the true. vibe of what type of Dracula they're gonna go for <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so look forward to that <laughs> yeah. we will definitely be talking about that I will be reviewing that I will be watching it I'm excited but it will be bad yeah it's fine we'll we'll manage the great thing about Dracula is there's an unlimited number of Dracula adaptations so it's still fine <laughs> yes all right um I believe next week we are going to be discussing the new Spider-Man film mm. which is an animated spider-man yeah highly acclaimed i will have seen it by the time this podcast comes out yes i this was not on my radar at all and then it started like winning the reviews came out 
they were crazy and then it started winning like critics awards yeah and, and like, morgan was fuck? like what the fuck is happening and i was smugly like it's like yes this is my area of expertise and i know that this film is very good <laughs> for once <laughs> but it's like yeah it's it's the it's the animated movie which is called spider-man into the spider-verse and it stars miles morales but it's also an ensemble cast so there's all the other spider-man characters that come in from different like strands of the multiverse so they come from different genres which is a really fun idea so there's like a black and white historical spider-man and stuff but the animation style is kind of why i'm excited because like it's meant to be really fun but visually it's not just like here is a cartoon that takes place in the real world kind of like every pixar movie it's more stylized and there's sort of interesting like painterly colors kind of stuff going on and i'm like thank god interesting visuals (laughs) that's what i'm here for yeah so i'm really looking forward to that uh should be interesting I'm, i'm glad that there is a superhero movie with interesting of an interesting visual style because that never happens. Well, Aquaman um, comes out basically the same time. And um, <laughs> Aquaman is getting a lot of hype. And it has people riding on fucking sharks. Riding sharks sweet. like ponies. Riding seahorses. It's got Nicole Kidman wearing a huge wig and a, and a mermaid tail. Like, it's all going to be great. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to have to see it at some point because Nicole Kidman is in it. So. Yeah, by law. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, if you want to listen to the commentary track that we did for this terrible movie... As I mentioned earlier, it is available on our Patreon. You can subscribe for $3 a month to get that uh, or for just $1 a month to read some uh, blog posts that we put up about various things. Uh, our Patreon as, is at www.patreon.com slash overinvestedpodcast. Thank you so much again to Jennifer for sponsoring this episode. It was incredibly generous. Uh, we will come up with some other moonshot film to put it our $100 tier. We have not done that yet. If you have any suggestions, send them our way. And otherwise, you can find us at our website, overinvestedpodcast.com, on Twitter at overinvestedpod, and on Tumblr at overinvestedpodcast. Thanks. Bye.